Welcome to A Canadian Investing in the U.S., a podcast and YouTube channel focused on Canadians buying real estate with host Glenn Sutherland. Welcome to another episode of A Canadian Investing in the U.S. This week, my guest is Scott Plowski. Uh, Scott, let's start by giving everybody a bit of an intro to yourself, and then we'll, uh, we'll get into some chat about remote Airbnb. Yeah, thanks, Glenn. Um, so yeah, my name's Scott. I um, started real estate investing uh, about eight or nine years ago now, um, kind of as a side project to my nine to five job. Um, I mostly am in, uh, working nine to five in IT for um, a software company and wanted to kind of, um, you know, I always had this passion for hospitality. So um, I convinced one of my good friends to buy a property with me in, in Philadelphia. And we started to um, run an, an Airbnb out of that basically. And we kind of took out a mortgage, did everything traditionally with how you would with um, a regular uh, mortgage and kind of how you would buy a property normally, except we were kind of intending to short-term rental it. And were you fast. in Philadelphia or where were you going from? Yeah, we were based out of Philadelphia. Yeah, me okay. and my friend both lived there, um, worked there. Everything was, yeah, our, that was our home. Okay. And, um, yeah, and we kind of uh, scaled up a little bit over time. We've built up a little portfolio and now um, neither of us live in Philadelphia. Um, <laughs> I live in Minnesota. Uh, my partner lives in, in Seattle. And um, yeah, and we still kind of run things as if, um, you know, we were to provide the all the all normal services in Philadelphia. Um, and we also now have properties in Vermont. Uh, we had a, an, a converted Airstream trailer in North Carolina in the Smoky Mountains. So we had a lot of different projects that we dabbled with. And um, yeah, and here we are now we're still kind of um, doing nine to fives and five to nines with our Airbnb side hustle. But it's been really good. Um, to have a, a passive stream of income, sometimes passive, sometimes not as much, but um, but it's a really great kind of addition to um, diversify our, our investments. And, and it's also a passion for hospitality. And so, yeah, here we are eight years later and um, yeah, we're still going strong. So hoping awesome. to continue that. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, you started uh, doing Airbnb in the market you were living. Do you think that's a requirement? Uh, no, I don't. I mean, I think it's it's a good place to at least get your feet wet because in the beginning, it's a it is a little bit more hands on where you're kind of learning a little bit more about the neighborhood. You're learning about um, what customers or what guests are looking for when they come to your area. So, kind of having some of those questions to really help prepare them when they arrive is really helpful to know. You know, things like public transit. Um, you know, is it hard to find street parking at night? Just little things that you might not know as a um, an outsider. You know, it's helpful to have some of that insight. And even if we were entering new markets that we weren't too familiar with, it's really helpful to have someone that is a local that you can really rely on to kind of get some of that local insight and, and just kind of pick their brain on things that you may not really understand if, if you haven't lived there for a while. Yeah, it makes a lot of sense. I know one of, I have one Airbnb myself, so I'm a little bit in, um, but uh how do you run your numbers? Like, like one of the big things is like, I, when I'm buying like a, just a regular rental, I want, like, I'm putting a lot of these numbers on the tenant. So how do you know how much people are going to use for electricity and power or and gas and everything else? How, how do you come up with that sort of formula? Yeah. Yeah. Great question. Um, 
some of it is is kind of just projections. Um, you know, we kind of do like a a threshold of plus or minus, say thirty percent, where we give ourselves a margin to say if we're we're you know even if on the high end, if we're estimating our utilities to be an extra fifty percent and we're still not hitting our numbers, maybe that's a red flag for us to to yep. kind of reconsider things. Yep. Um, so we kind of do a low and a high estimate, especially with new areas that we don't really know too much about with utilities, for example, like in Vermont, um, we don't have air conditioning up there. And so our utility bills are almost net zero during the summer, but in the winter it can hit sometimes 500 bucks a month um, with heating. And so it's just good for us to kind of, uh, those are things that we just didn't know going into it. And, um, you know, some of it's trial and error, but a lot of times, you know, it's just kind of asking around some other owners in the area, hey, what mm -hmm. do your bills look like? Uh, we even kind of called some of the electrical companies to just say, hey, what are your rates? And just kind of estimate a little bit just to get an under understanding because in Vermont electricity and, and gas is a little bit higher rate what I would pay in Philadelphia. So we can kind of just um, at least get a, a sense of, oh, wow, maybe we should shop for different providers or maybe we should just talk to owners to really figure out, is this going to be a heavy expense? But typically we do a, a P&L for every property. Um, we have our, our revenue up top. And then yeah. we kind of itemize all of our different expenses from housekeeping to supplies to utilities uh, to taxes and things like that. And then typically we we take our management fee. So we do manage properties for other investors as well as ourselves. So not everything that we own and, and um, short term rental is is what we own a lot um, about maybe 30 to 40 percent of it is is managed for other for other um, investors. And yeah. so we kind of take a management fee off the top of that and then the, the rest goes to the investor. Um, so we typically we try to uh, make it as simple as possible, but a lot of times uh, we do step separate bank accounts for each property. If it is a separate investor, if, if it's a repeat investor, then we'll combine all of their properties into one bank account. Um, and they do have access to that, but we try to, you know, provide all the numbers and full transparency into what's coming in and what's coming out. Um, and, and yeah, the utilities usually kind of, it can be a little bit daunting sometimes if guests are running the AC and things like that, but we try to put like little safe hold placeholders in to kind of mitigate that a little bit. We have some remote monitoring tools to kind of, you know, if the property's sitting vacant for a week, making sure our housekeeping team knows to turn off and turn on the AC or the heat when, when, um, you know, there's going to be vacancies and things like that. That makes us a lot of sense. And then, so you, you mentioned that you're doing it for other people. Is that just the management or do you do the setup, the whole thing? Like what, what does that entail? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it kind of depends. Um, yeah, great question. Um, <laughs> I would prefer for it to already be furnished. That it makes life a lot easier, especially from a remote investment standpoint. Yeah. We do try to at least kind of um, see in person the units before we onboard them and at least just meet our investors bef um, before kind of onboarding them. We do have kind of like a, a pro forma where we show some projections and we kind of, um, you know, outline a, a three and a five year forecasting model. Um, we also kind of just talk about um, like the zoning regulations in that area. Um, and then, you know, we just kind of talk about their talents for risk. We have two different approaches. One is where we would sign like a master lease and we would just pay them a fixed amount throughout the year. Or we say, you know, do you want to do a profit share model? And they ride the wave of the highs and lows of seasonality with us. So they could potentially make yeah. a little bit more, but they're also involved in a little bit more risk. Uh, yeah. But we prefer things to be kind of at least um, all the appliances and, and the, the property to be in good working condition. We do and we can kind of help furnished everything. Um, and then, so we would kind of just take out a, a basically, we would pay for that upfront ourselves. And then we would basically take 
um, a sliver out of that out of their paycheck for the next six to eight months until the uh, furnishings are basically paid back. That makes that a lot makes of sense. sense. Yeah, it makes a lot of sense. And you're like all over the place. You're, you're <laughs> Vermont and Philadelphia and Smoky Mountains, North Carolina, all over the place. How are you, how are you picking these markets? Is it somewhere you want a vacation yourself or is it somewhere where the house prices match or how do you how do you go about picking these? Yeah, um, also great question. So we started in Philly just because of where we lived and, and proximity to kind of um, just management was very easy, especially in the beginning. Um, then after, after we started to think about investing outside of the state and our city, uh, we looked at kind of things that we like to do too. So we're big skiers. And so Vermont was kind of a natural tendency that we, we found ourselves going up there quite a bit. And so we were just kind of poking around the market a little bit to see what was going on there. Um, we did a little bit of homework. Um, there's a couple different rental websites um, for short term rentals. AirDNA we use, which is basically kind of zip code by zip code shows you occupancy and, and nightly rates and things like that. We follow some of the more like the industry trends of, um, I know like Vacasa and a few other companies publish um, articles on like the top 10 winter investment properties and things like that. But really we kind of knew Killington, which is where we are in, in Vermont, yeah. uh, was a place that we wanted to be. And it was really just a matter of kind of one, a, a little bit of luck. Um, we did invest before COVID where prices were a lot lower in that area. And, and the town itself has really been um, on an upward trajectory since then. We've invested about four or five years ago there. And um, I mean, condos were going for 50,000 US and it was unheard of. <laughs> um, we also typically look at, at uh, condos that have um, um, high, higher HOA fees, which seems a little bit contradictory, but it, that typically means that it's a little bit more hands-off for yourself as a, an investor. So things that we can really kind of rely on um, a 24 seven maintenance service, which is something that the HOA service provides. So oh. if there is, an issue at three in the morning where there's an overflowing toilet, we can just dispatch maintenance and then they just send us a, um, a bill for labor and it's typically a, a subsidized rate, but things like that really help us out from a remote management perspective um, to kind of, you know, handle all the things that you would normally do for like a single family home where there's no HOA. So everything from snow removal to, um, you know, uh, trash, sewer, recycling, um, everything like that is all included in the HOA fee, internet, um, in-ground pool, outdoor pool, gym. So it's like re resort style amenities. Um, yeah. But again, we don't have to worry about any of the upkeep. Um, but again, you trade off that with a high HOA. So Yeah, it's interesting too. And um, so how do you know that? So say you found this property, um, well, I guess you put it on a offer on it and conditional on review of the HOA, I guess, is one of your conditions you'd throw in there. Right. Yeah. And a lot of, um, well, yeah. So up in Vermont, actually, we paid all cash, which is um, a little bit tough, uh, definitely a tougher barrier to entry. But when you're looking at price points around 50 to 100K, it's a little bit easier to get in. Yeah. Um, but typically, um, we do a, a review of the HOA's budget just to make sure that, and also mortgage companies do this as well, to make sure they have proper reserves. Um, a lot of companies, at least in the U.S., they require, depending on how many units are in the building, to have at least, um, you know, a, it could be anywhere from a quarter million to half a million in reserves just to kind of account for any larger things that may indicate that 
the HOA is mis mishandling their funding, basically. So we looked for that. We looked at to kind of just see what was what was included in the HOA fee. We looked at kind of um, you know what's the attitude that other invest that other owners have towards the HOA. A lot of times it's kind of like a this ambiguous governing body that doesn't always act in the best interest of owners. Yeah. And um, you know, so we kind of just do a little bit of due diligence and asking different owners. This complex that we invested in um, that we have three units in, we've kind of talked to a few different owners in the area and, and things like that to just kind of get a sense as to what's going on at the uh, with the HOA level and just to make sure that you know um, there's no big assessments coming down the road and just things like that to to kind of make sure that we're we're in a good position um, if yeah. that helps so no no it's good and then um in that case you wouldn't have to come uh like i'm just thinking about building your team you wouldn't have to come up with finding your handyman or whatever um but say you didn't have that option uh, or you're starting a new market so you probably need mm -hmm. a handyman what what kind of pieces do you need to uh, uh for your team do you need to gather up in order to do this remote airbnb yeah yeah so um yeah great question so a lot of times um and I'll go use our, our Smoky Mountain Airstream as an example. Um, we are basically, we, we actually had acquired our Airstream and didn't know where to put it. So we, we got a really great deal on it. We knew we wanted to do something with it. Um, but again, it, it's a very hands-on old Airstream. It's, it was about 30 or 40 years old. Um, and so what we started doing is cold messaging Airbnb hosts all along the Smoky Mountains to just ask them. We noticed a lot of people have a uh, large acreage of lands, and we thought that maybe if we could put this Airstream on one of their properties, we could do a profit split, and um, they would be interested in taking on more business because a lot of these um, owners that are that host on Airbnb, they're, they're, they do have kind of an entrepreneurial spirit and they're interested in hosting more. And it took a little while, maybe we we inter we interviewed maybe four or five different um, Airbnb hosts and we finally found one who was a handyman, who was who owned the land and was willing to do a 50-50 split. Um, but that's kind of maybe a unique situation. I think when you're looking for a handyman, um, generally speaking in a, in a kind of uh, remote area where you're not there, uh, we use Thumbtack a lot and we also use TaskRabbit. So TaskRabbit is kind of like an on-demand handyman service. So anything from, you know, a leaky sink to, um, you know, something larger where you have like a lockout of your, your property, uh, we dispatch uh, and we kind of got to know a few TaskRabbit people in the area and they all have different expertise. They charge an hourly rate. And a lot of times we kind of just ask them, hey, do you want to go off the platform? Would you be inter interested in kind of being an on-call service? We could pay a little bit more for an emergency um, service, but, um, you know, it would be great to kind of use your expertise for, for plumbing, electrical, um, lockouts, mechanical, things like that. So, you know, um, I think it's just a, a matter of kind of looking at the, the different kind of on-demand services that are available in your area and kind of, um, you know, maybe experimenting, trying out a few of those services yourself, but then really just having a conversation with them after they stay to say, hey, you know, um, or not after they stay, after they, um, <laughs> <Yeah>. after <laughs> they kind of perform the services and, and yeah. see if you can kind of, um, you know, uh, befriend them and, be, and become more of a, a regular customer rather than a one-time person. I think that's the key is, is kind of relying on, you know, one-time things versus having someone to come back that actually knows the property well is, is really the key. So, um, yeah. So, so you, you need cleaning team too, right? So you got your maintenance guy. Um, mm -hmm. and do you need, do you need anyone, I guess, um, for an Airstream, you, I guess you have in your, your case, you have someone local. Um, but in most cases you can have remote locks, but if you don't have remote locks, you have to have some, probably some sort of welcome person I'm guessing as well. 
or do you have yeah, any do you um, have that case at all i don't know <laughs> yeah we do um well actually no we don't all of our <laughs> properties are locked our keypad entry yeah um, smart <laughs> so yeah even, even airstream it's it's a lockbox or a keypad um yeah. and you know as much as we would like to be there to greet every guest in person um it, it, guest schedules are very erratic you know sometimes they oh, say yeah. that they're coming in at 6 p.m they don't arrive till after midnight so for us to kind of just sit there and wait for guests to show up is just really not feasible so um so yeah everything is keypad entry um you know our housekeeping we do try to provide like little kind of extra um, going the extra mile things so like in vermont we provide like maple candy things that are local to the area oh, that yeah. guests might appreciate that's kind of like an extra touch we'll leave that on the bed we'll leave them a little personalized note say hey um you know we're excited to have you here um you know maybe we'll talk about a special event that's happening in the area hey there's there's a beer festival happening down the road this weekend if you're interested you know here's the link or you know here's where you can find out more information just things like that to kind of keep the, the personal touch there just because you know they probably don't even know that we live 500 miles away but at the end of the day they don't really care as long as they're getting a, a clean apartment a good service and um you know a nice place to stay is, is kind of what they're yeah that's that's really what matters so um, but yeah, trying yeah. to go the extra mile with, with our housekeeping team and train them to really kind of, you know, have some of those extra touches is really key. Yeah, you're talking about all the different events and stuff locally. Do you do like a welcome booklet or anything like that in there or just an email or how does that, how do you guys approach that? Yeah, we do have a welcome binder um, and it's a little tough because uh, every year it needs to get reprinted because businesses come and go and there's just different, you know, so many different things happening each year. But um, yeah, we'll just ship that out to our housekeeper. They'll put that in in our um, in each of our, our properties. And we do also have a, um, a Google document that we embed a link into our welcome message as well. And that is kind of like a little bit more up to date and also um just provides a little bit more like links that they can follow and open up new browser tabs when they're kind of looking ahead of time but it's always nice to have something there for guests to actually look at and touch um so yeah we do a combination of, of both but um there it's very thorough from you know where to find more firewood to um you know things like you know top five places to to go for a hike top five you know cheese shops top five um places to to get maple syrup everything that you can kind of think of of um you know where you might want to do or go or get groceries or activities things like that so we try to be as informative because we've just noticed a lot of guests are asking the same questions so it's kind of it's almost like a, a running faq sheet that just keeps growing and growing over time but um yeah. but it is it does prove to be useful <laughs> yeah i've heard the same thing uh airstream that sounds so cool because for a lot of people, like, you know, uh, depending, especially if they're in an expensive market, just having a trailer really cuts down on everything. If you were doing that again, uh, do you buy, find the land first, do you find the trailer first, how egg or the, mm. the egg or the chicken, which, which way do you go about this? Uh, like, I'm just thinking some of the problems with it, even you'd have to like, mm. take it to a dumping station sometimes. And um, I usually, I'm just, it's just running through my head quick. And typically airbnb guests use more water so you're going to fill that tank up more uh tell, tell me about that how how does that work and how do you overcome these interesting problems yeah. you have with that yeah yeah no it's um yeah and we to be honest we didn't know half of the problems that exist until they started coming up when we yeah. actually were it was already too late so yeah um i would say for any type of like glamping or airstream or anything like that the first thing i think is is find your location 
Um, for us, we knew kind of um, the Smoky Mountain National Park, the most visited national park in the country. Um, also, winters are very mild. Um, we were at a higher elevation to where summers weren't also as bad. So it was kind of like consistent year round in terms of temperature swings. So we wouldn't yeah. have to worry about, you know, AC or heat as much as, um, you know, in Vermont or somewhere north. Um, so that was kind of one thing was location. And then the other thing is, is land. Land is very tricky. Um, I think for what we were looking for was kind of like a more of a plug and play model where there was a piece of land that already was outfitted for electricity for water um and we were really just looking for a place ideally not this doesn't <laughs> always happen but you know a place that you can just kind of drop it hook it up and and ready to go so we were looking at like rv parks for a little bit that had more long-term uh, rental options and we could sublease within that but um, that also proved to be kind of difficult. So we were really interested in, in just kind of um, skimming through different um, do Airbnb and VRBO listings to kind of just message and talk to people. And, and we actually got a, a lot of contacts from those people. If they couldn't help us, they said, oh, you know, I know someone down the road a little bit further. They have a large plot of land. Um, you know, they're interested in, in a couple different collaborative opportunities. So a lot of it is just kind of talking to locals and, and just cold calling, uh, which sounds kind of a little bit archaic, but it really does work. And especially in more rural areas, you know, that's kind of how you have to, to get to know people and, and really understand the area a little bit better. Because, you, you know, you hear a lot about, you know, oh, they're doing construction on the road for the next year. You're not going to want to go up that way. That's the only access road up there. Things yeah. like that that are really helpful to to really understand, and then the other part of it is is once you actually find the land and find um, the property is yeah is maintaining kind of water supply, um, black water and gray water tanks. So we did have a company come out um, about every quarter to kind of sanitize and empty the the black water tank. So we had a our airstream had a uh, black water tank right behind it that we kind of just built a nice little fence around it, and we we. Um, we had it emptied quarterly, and we actually had to get it sanitized even more than quarterly. Just the the lines, the smell would trickle back up up to the airstream, and we, yeah. so we had to keep that sanitized and make sure we kind of have different valves to kind of you know keep things from not um, <laughs> yeah. coming back into the unit. It was actually kind of a little bit tricky in the beginning. So black water is tricky. Water, luckily, had a water line, and we actually had internet as well. Um, the 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 place that we were on was right along the bank of a river actually so it had a beautiful view we built a little deck around it um and it was a um a dirt road that came up to it so it was a little bit you did you didn't need a four wheel four wheel drive vehicle but you just definitely had to be careful when you're coming up there because it was um, a little rocky and things like that but those are all different things to kind of keep in mind though it's um you know there's there's no kind of one size fits all approach with these. Every situation is really different, but um, I think it's a really unique opportunity that, especially during COVID, everyone's looking to get out into nature. And um, I myself am always looking for different glamping opportunities. There's even glamping websites. So I think there's yeah. a lot of different niches that you can find to, to to make something like that work. And the cost of entry is a lot, uh, the barrier to entry is a lot easier to get in. I mean, we only paid 8,000 for our Airstream and you know, rather than getting a whole mortgage and things like that. Yeah. So it's, it's just a different kind of diversification and um, a whole different ball game. But I think it's um, it's definitely one worth pursuing for sure. That's cool. What did it, I'm just thinking like you did all this stuff to the property. What did it look like when you 
first got it? Was it just like extension cords and a, like a long water hose run from a barn or something? Like how, how did it look when you first got it? Like, <laughs> yeah. So it was funny because actually the, the property that we ended up putting our Airstream on the, the guy that owned the land, um, he was a tiny house builder. So oh. it was actually already outfit for other different tiny houses. Oh. And he wanted to actually just diversify rather than have a bunch of a fleet of tiny houses. He thought well, maybe we could do an Airstream in addition to some of these tiny houses. So it was act surprisingly already the electrical outlets were set up and um, the water lines were already set up. So of course, in the beginning when it showed up, you know, we were just trying to figure out how to architect where to put the um, uh, where to put the airstream. You know, the light is a big thing. You know, shade over the trees. You know, slope of the of the land so there's no like erosion or things like that. So those are all kind of just things to keep in mind when when we were doing it. We did have to put cement pylons in to kind of prop up the deck and also um, put a cement barrier underneath the, the wheels because you know things tend to sink over time so we did have to kind of do a little bit of work to kind of till the the the, the dirt in the area around it and um, just kind of get it set up in a position that we wanted to to have some privacy but also be optimized for the conditions that it was in as well hmm and uh where my mind goes like because i'm like oh this is so cool like i should do this but then i know like if you step back and you're gonna go wait a second if someone already has all this outfitted for a tiny home, why wouldn't they just get the RV? What was the, how did you swing that? <laughs> Cause yeah. <they> were, yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, that's a great point. Um, I think one part of it was, um, was that they were the tiny house builder, but they didn't want to run and manage it as well. So ah. they, didn't, they weren't really interested in the day-to-day -day operations. They were happy to be kind of like on call for emergencies and, you know, help out with general upkeep of the land. But he didn't want to have to worry about marketing it. Um, he was, you know, he was more interested in he was a real estate builder, not a kind of Airbnb short term rental guy. So he didn't really understand the numbers and kind of just how the marketing aspect worked. So he said, you know, leave that to you guys. Um, and at the end of the day, you know, he could have definitely found an Airstream and found someone else to kind of help manage it for him. That may be a little bit more local. I think it was also just kind of timing. We were in the right in the right time at the right place where um, he was just finishing up a few tiny houses. He had some extra land. Didn't really think about what he was going to do. It maybe he would have put another tiny house on there. But um, you know, I think we kind of just um, yeah. cold message him at the right time, and he, you know, we kind of got got to thinking a little bit, and yeah, and it, it worked out pretty well. That's awesome. And so I'm guessing, like, since this was all set up, you didn't have to deal with permits or anything like that. He would have done all that stuff ahead of time exactly yeah so um the property was actually zoned already for a short-term um use but also out there in the smoky oh, mountains do you need to do you need to get it zoned for short-term use if you just go i guess if you got put it on farmland or something i guess you could get in some trouble yeah or, well or, um, i don't know <laughs> when we first started, you didn't actually need to but the area got more and more built up for um for tourism and i think people started catching on like because a lot of people were coming to the area and I think developers are starting to catch wind of this. And so they started to put some restrictions in place. It was a fairly simple process to get a permit, but yep. um, you know, that that was something that we had to keep in mind. And luckily, I mean, it was only maybe a half an acre of, of, of a land, but the fact that it was right on the river and um, it was nice and secluded, it was the perfect spot for um, more of a short-term rental use. Um, but yeah, they had all the electrical and, and every, all the permits ahead of time, which is great. They were just a matter of what was the vessel to, to hold guests, whether it's a tiny house or an Airstream or a yurt or whatever. But um, yeah, that was kind of the, um, it, it made it a lot easier. So yeah, again, I think we got a little lucky, you know, not every situation will 
turn that that way, but it's it's a lot of just cold messaging and finding out what area you really want to be in, I think is is the, the key thing. Awesome. Um last question. For any of these Airbnbs and any of the parts, what are like some of the problems you came across that you didn't foresee happening? Mm. <laughs> I know this might I might be really putting one on you right now. But yeah, no, I think um one of the things that we didn't kind of build into a lot of our projections is the, the wear and tear on not only the, the building, but um, but our supplies and our furniture. Um, oh. You know, uh, I think uh, over the first couple of months, even we were churning through sheets and towels and linens. And, you know, we had a couple tables break early on. And it's really hard to kind of pin pin it to a single guest, especially when if your housekeeping doesn't give you a full report after every cleaning to say, hey, this lamp is broken. Hey, this table is broken. Um, so, you know, we mm -hmm. kind of didn't really understand, like, you know, especially when you're in a hotel, if, you know, if you stain a few towels, you don't really think too much of it. You know, it's just kind of like, oh, it's just part of their bottom line. You know, they, they itemize it. But over time, it really does add up. And so I think we just underestimated the, the, um, the yeah. amount of um, supplies that we were really going through. So we kind of, you know, tried to come up with different solutions, getting different pieces of furniture that were a little bit sturdier, that were a little bit not as where they, they may, you know, all this mid-century modern look is great in theory, but in functionality for a short-term rental, you know, if you get these little thin legs that are supposed to hold up a couch, um, you know, it's it looks great. But at the end of the day, if you're going to have short-term renters coming in, it's not going to hold the test of time. So, I think understanding and going through that balance of functionality versus, um, you know, um, aesthetic is is really important. Mm -hmm. So that was something that we just didn't really um, totally e expect. Um, and then I think on top of that was really just um, some of the the handholding with with um, with different profiles of guests. You know, you have older guests who are really going to reach out to you for, for the smallest things. You know, I, I can't find a baking sheet or. You know, um, the tea kettle is a little bit rusted on the backside. Do you have another tea kettle? It's like, no, we, we don't. So, you know, <laughs> things like that, that you really need to kind of keep a close eye on, especially for things that provide a high function. Coffee maker is a big thing. Um, you know, people are always, um, whether it's you don't have the right type of cream or the right type of sugar, some people can be really picky and trying to please everyone is never going to happen. But, you know, trying to find the, the most one size fits all approach is, is kind of how we try to do. And, you know, if someone really wants, you know, oat milk in their in their coffee, they're going to have to oh, they have to bring milk. it. We can't <laughs> yeah. things like that. But, um, you know, some of our more upscale listings, you know, we, we do try and go the extra mile and provide different types of cream and sugar and things like that. But, you know, every guest preference is different. You're not going to please everyone. So I think just finding that balance was was really important for us and a little bit unexpected to how to, you know, to, to approach that. Um, so I think those were the two things. And yeah. the last the last two I'll mention, one is parking. A lot of times in, in the city, um, especially with parking is really tricky. A lot of our streets that we were in, in Philly were permit only. So trying to work out different options for guests to park was really tricky, especially as the neighborhood was slowly gentrifying. Parking became more and more difficult. So we did partner with a, a local garage that was about three or four blocks away. And while it wasn't you know, right, right in front of the property, it was a good compromise for guests to say, oh, at least there's a safe place to, for me to park, even though they may have to walk for 10 or 15 minutes to get to their, their property. So that was one thing. And then the other thing was trash collection it was really hard because especially in cities, um, you're, you're not really supposed to put your trash bins out front. 
And um, so we had our trash bins in the backyard a lot of times, but if there is a trash day on Friday and, a, and there's a guest staying from Thursday to Sunday, we, it's really hard for us to ask the guests, hey, can you bring the trash cans to the front and then bring them back when they're done? You know, especially if they're out, they're on vacation. They don't want to, have to worry uh, about the trash. So, so no. trash can really pile up. So really finding a, a, a more permanent solution to that was really tricky in, in a lot of our units. So things just to keep in mind in the back of your head of how to handle trash, how to handle parking. You know, I think those were little that's surprises, tough. but. Yeah. Oh, those are good things. I didn't even think of trash, but that's a that's a great thing. I don't know. Somehow it just magically disappears on my place. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. Yeah. Just, yeah. Somebody just takes it every week. That's great. <laughs> uh, uh, Scott, yeah. thanks for coming on the show. I really appreciate it. Hey, thanks for. Oh, having before me. you yeah. go, if you have uh, contact information, people want to, to track you down. How do they find you? Great question. Um, they can find us. Um, you can shoot me an email. Um, you could do um, killingdencondorentals.com is our website. That's where all of our Vermont properties are, but you can reach out to me at, through via any one of our properties there. I manage that website and, and everything from there. Um, also, you can just uh, shoot me an email, um, spalowski21 at gmail.com. Um, that's, that's my email and I'm happy to answer any questions or, you know, um, point anyone in the right direction. So yeah, I appreciate it. Awesome. Thanks again. Thanks so much for coming on the show. There was a lot of content there. I love it. Awesome. No, I'm happy to happy to share it. There's a lot to learn and a lot to know. And yeah, I'm, we're still learning as we go. So um, yeah, it's it's a it's a, a fun and you know I think that's why I love it. Is no two days are the same, which is really cool. Awesome. Thanks. All right. Thanks, Glenn. Appreciate it.